episode number one with TJ Walker, co-founder of the fashion brand Cross Colors. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Kalmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with TJ Walker, one of the co-founders of the pioneering streetwear brand, Cross Colors. Cross Colors blasted onto the urban fashion scene in the late 1980s, and their bright colors, loose silhouettes, and inspiring message, Clothing Without Prejudice, presaged the launch of a string of urban streetwear brands like Call Kanai, Fubu, and Fat Farm. Cross Colors came to define the 90s, worn by every musical icon of the era, like Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Lil' Kim, Mary J. Blige, TLC, and most famously Will Smith while on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The brand has recently had a resurgence, especially after Bruno Mars and Cardi B wore cross colors during the 2018 Grammy Awards. In this episode, we discuss TJ's path from a farm in Mississippi to designing for one of the most profitable black businesses of his time, how he actually got those clothes on Will Smith, why their slogan, Clothing Without Prejudice, still resonates two decades later, and a new initiative he started with costume designer Ruth Carter, who most recently won the Academy Award for her costume design for Marvel's Black Panther. TJ, welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm so glad that you came. Well, thank you for having <laughs> me here. Now. I know you... Um, you kind of hate talking. So. I do. <laughs> but I really appreciate it. No, 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 no. I appreciate you. That's why I'm doing this. Ah, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Um, so just to get started, give us a little bit about your origin story. Like, where are you from? How did you get into graphic design? How did you get into the world of fashion? Okay. Um, well, uh, everyone knows me as TJ, but my actually full name is Thomas... Jefferson Walker Jr. Ooh. Okay, so it was named after my father. So I grew up in Mississippi. That's where I was uh, born and actually went to school for uh, most of my life. Um, and uh, after growing up in Mississippi and then completing my degree in um, fine arts, actually, with a concentration on graphic design, painting, illustration, and uh, printmaking. Okay. Uh, I actually moved out to Los Angeles after that and that's kind of how I got immersed into the fashion industry. Okay, so what was that thought process of growing up in Mississippi? What city? Uh, Tunsuma. Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's a, well, you know, Mississippi in the South in general is pretty much known crazy for names. Uh, yeah, crazy names for Indian tribes. Okay, uh, so okay. that was, I think, uh, one of those. But yeah, Tunsuma, T O O M S U B A. Tunsumba. Okay. Tunsumba. So a young black male growing up in Tunsumba, Mississippi. <laughs> you almost got it. <laughs> almost. With visions of, of what? Like, why L.A.? You know, 
Actually, it was not L.A. originally. Okay. It was actually, after I finished my uh, master's, I actually wanted to um, go off to Paris. Okay. That was my uh, dream because of Patrick Kelly and, mm. uh, mm-hmm. and other designers that I uh, thought of at that time. And so you got your master's in Mississippi as well? I actually had my master's in Louisiana. It was okay. actually a Louisiana Tech University. Okay. Yeah. And so where did you find out about Patrick Kelly? Like, you know what I mean? Like, know, this is just just through research, uh, primarily through research um, and, and doing that. But also, um, I always had a desire to do more, mm-hmm. you know, and I always had a desire to get out of Mississippi. <laughs> okay. uh, not for the fact that I didn't like it or love it, because yeah. my family's there, and that's where I grew up, and that's where I have my fondest memory of growing up. But uh, actually, I just knew there was more. Uh, to life than that especially I, I think I kind of reflect back on my aunt who mm. actually she was uh, she loved to draw and she actually went to college in uh, Chicago okay. she didn't complete her degree but I always heard stories of her you know um, but you I, never met her I met her okay yeah, okay. yeah. just heard stories of her being in school and she moved away and I just thought that was so exciting that you know someone got out <laughs> <laughs> to a point and how, how, how large was this town Oh, it was my family. No, just kidding. It was uh, there were few, there were more people. It wasn't. There. I mean, the the nearest city was uh, Meridian, Mississippi, okay. which is fifteen minutes away. Okay, and there are about fifty thousand people there. Mm-hmm. That was huge. Okay, to us. and and we were just in one of the little towns in the near nearing town. But now, were you looking at like? Fashion magazines? Were you looking at television? I was. Like where was where like it where was did this vision fashion, of glamour? Fashion magazines. Okay. It was magazines. Anyone, it was not, anyone's uh, in particular? Um Vogue. Okay. Vogue magazine. Who subscribed to Vogue? Uh no one really <laughs> did. I just kind of found, found them. them. Yeah. Where? And then we had uh we actually had um Jet magazine okay. too. And that's mm-hmm. the one that we were I would look at a okay. lot too as well. Uh, those were the, the main ones, I think, those two sides of the coin uh, that I was looking at to actually get inspiration. Hmm. And, uh, and yeah. Okay, so it. you grew up in Mississippi, went to Louisiana for master's, planned on going to Paris. Right. Planned on going to Paris. And then what happened? Um, well, my plan Because I've been planning on going to spoiled. Paris for like <laughs> 10 years. And I'm still here. Okay, so, well, I, I finished my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I went two years of uh, junior college in Meridian, Mississippi. Okay. Then I went to Delta State University in Cleveland, Mississippi to get my bachelor's degree. And then I went to Louisiana Tech to complete my master's degree okay. there. So it was two, 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 two. Six, six years consecutive in terms of getting my degree. But after I completed my degree, I wanted to actually go to Paris. I had spoken to my instructors, and they'd given me some uh, actual connections in Paris. I got numbers, places I could stay, all these different things. And I had actually created my portfolio on my own to actually be a fashion illustrator. Okay. That was my dream you know, at the time initially to actually do that. And then move into being a designer, okay. uh, per se. Because I didn't know how to actually segue into the fashion industry because my degree was not in fashion. Mm-hmm. It was actually in graphic design and illustration and those things. So but you had this dream of being a I designer. I had the dream of being a designer. That was yeah, from day one. I okay. mean, since I saw my grandmother making clothes for the people in the neighborhood and all these other things too, and my mother as well making it for my, mm. my sisters. So that inspired me, you know, about clothes. But, you know, 
for a male to make clothes and to actually think of making clothes mm. was not really the thing that you would right. do. My father, uh, uh, my father, there were, I had a brother, and uh, my father, you know, I always, I just love my father, and I always wanted to do things to kind of um, make sure I get in his best light mm-hmm. for the most part, like, mm-hmm. you know, sons do, you know, for the Absolutely. most part. And my father loved to hunt. So that's what I did. Okay. I was a hunter. Okay. <laughs> so I did that just to kind of get, you know, close to him in terms of actually being with him and things like that. So those kind of things do. But I, uh, and I, and I, Love to draw, okay. and they actually supported me though. Okay. My both my parents did. Okay, know, so wait, so what? So what happened on the way to Paris? Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I actually uh, didn't make it on that trip. I didn't make it uh, after I finished my degree. Okay. I actually decided to. Um, I was waiting on tables. I had this car, and this car decided that it wanted all my money. So it wouldn't allow me because it would just constantly break down mm. and I had to sink my money into the car. So I actually said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, make it on to Paris, but mm. I need to get out of here. Mm. So I just packed the car up and left. Okay. Yeah. And drove out to Los Angeles. Okay. My initial uh, thought was to go to New York because of fashion. Yeah. Uh, but I don't like cold weather. Mm. So couldn't do that. Yeah, so I think it was a blizzard. Uh, it was like yesterday. <laughs> a flat Don't blizzard. like cold weather. So, and I, when I left home, I told my mom, I'll never be cold again mm. a day in my life if I can help it. So I drove to Los as Angeles. As God is my witness, I, uh, I will never be cold yeah. again. <laughs> I drove out to Los Angeles and, and, and drove out to Los Angeles and actually um, with $300 actually, okay. or something like that. And, and my money ran out quickly. You know, and I didn't know anyone out here. Uh, and actually, uh, for a period, I was actually living in my car. Like, what's uh, a period? For about a month or so, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Living in my car. But during that time, I actually realized I needed to, because my initial thought was to get a job as an illustrator when okay. I moved out to Los Angeles. Um, but that didn't come quick enough. Mm-hmm. So, and because I was illustrating, people at that time, they started to do photography. More so than hand drawing and things like that, okay. so they were kind of uh, going away from that. So. And then, just give us the, the time period. Is this like late seventies, early eighties? This is mid eighties. Okay, mid eighties. Mm-hmm. It was actually nineteen eighty five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Around May. <laughs> four, four, four years after my birth. Amazing. But yeah. <laughs> mm. Thank you. Um, it, but then I, uh, I didn't find a job quick enough mm-hmm. uh, doing that, so I decided to apply for a job, and I did uh, with the Los Angeles Times, and I got a job actually interview with uh, a screen printing company. Okay. And the screen printing company, Designer Screen Printing, um, and the owner was Carl Jones, who is now my current business partner. So my first employer was Carl Jones at his screen printing company. Interesting. Yeah, when I moved out here, you know. Um, here we go. Fresh from the country, <laughs> moving out here. And so that was how I was really um, thrown into the fashion industry and hmm. learned about the fashion and um, how to apply you know, graphics to garments and the construction and uh, all those different things, that, and fabrics and all those things, too. Because his screen printing company, he was printing for the fashion industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was printing socks and T-shirts and bags and all those things, too. But he figured out himself that he wanted to actually do that himself because and do his own clothing line. Um, and he had a love for uh, surfing and outdoor sports and scuba diving and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so he actually 
uh, he and actually the the current uh, de design director mm -hmm. of the design and screen printing, they decided to do a line together. And with that, it was called Surf Fetish because he Surf Fetish Surf Fetish. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was based on the surf lifestyle, California lifestyle, hmm. for the most part. Okay. And it was uh, graphics on the T-shirt, a button-down shirt, and a short. Those three pieces, okay. which were white, based, based, and then we would just do screen printing on those. So everything was basically done in-house as far as the printing, and then the construction and sewing was done outside. And when was the transition to deciding to start Cross Colors? It was probably about... Um, I would say about a year, a year and a half. After you started? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't that long. Mm -hmm. And I think they were um, uh, working on it uh, together mm -hmm. to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but the actual um, art director actually uh, quit. She uh, actually pulled out of that project, and I ended up doing the actual graphics for okay. the, the product. And Most so, of the graphics oh, design. So, so when... Um how long did it take from this idea of, of cross colors as a brand to like actual production, like actual like hitting, I don't know, the market no. or a store or trying to get it on someone? Like what was that process? Like how long did that take? Okay, so let's let's go back a little to the surf fetish part. Okay. Steve, because of the surf fetish mm -hmm. experience, uh, both Carl and I are actually had experience doing clothing okay. because the brand did well. The Surf oh, Fetish good. brand did really well. Uh, he took on partners, and then they uh, they separated, and then he and I started Cross Colors. Got it. But starting Cross Colors, we already had a knowledge of how to actually do production, mm -hmm. how to build product. So for our product, uh, we started in, I guess, around October or so of 1989, mm -hmm. and by February... Um, February 1990, we were at the Magic Show with product. Okay, wow. Okay. To actually show uh, and, and actually uh, display there uh, and get orders from stores. And so, so for people who don't know, Magic <clears throat> is a trade show that happens in Las Vegas, right? Yes, it happens in Las Vegas okay. twice a year. It happens twice a year. It happens usually around February, and then it happens uh, again in August. Okay. And this is the largest show typically that uh, people do in the country uh, domestically and people come from all over the world to go there to see what people are making and to actually place orders for their stores uh, and now online and so you guys go to magic in 1990 and what happens we get a lot of orders <laughs> <laughs> did it, we get a you, lot of orders were you like overwhelmed were you like oh my uh, god or did you know that you had something quite special we we thought we had you know whenever you birth a child you, never you know. think your child is special <laughs> <laughs> so that was what it was like for us but you know uh, yeah. and we took the child to the magic show and it performed well amazing so it was really good for us but okay. um, I think what a lot of people don't understand that when you actually um, we went to the show too and we were basically very low on cash okay. at that point okay. because we had sinked all our money into producing the product to getting mm -hmm. the samples ready getting people there doing the booth uh, and building those things out so we had um, put a lot of money and invested a lot of time and energy into actually getting the product done mm -hmm. uh, and this was ba uh, majority on carl because he uh, he actually sold his uh, collection of motorcycles and other things that he had too to actually make sure we got there. Wow! You know, wow, to the wow, show. Wow! 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 And with that, 
again, we got orders. We got a lot of orders. We got a lot of orders mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And our brand was uh, definitely different from any other brand that was there at the time. And we were different, too, because there weren't that many or, if any, uh, black-owned companies mm -hmm. at the Magic Show, mm -hmm. um, and at least getting to the public the way that we did. And with the package that we had and the bright colors, because during that time uh, of the 90s, everything was basically kind of somber in color, like mm -hmm. really uh, muted. Mm -hmm. There was khakis and grays and black and navy. Those colors uh, definitely were in the stores, but bright colors were not. And the mm. stores themselves, even when they placed the order, they didn't really know what they were going to do with the product. They didn't know where to hang it in the store <laughs> <laughs> initially. Um, but um, it, it actually worked out really well for everyone because, mm. uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with the marketing, promotion, and product placement that we did prior to the show, um, which was the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, mm. uh, Will Smith actually wore the product and actually there was some buzz about the product prior to us going so it was really helped it helped a lot to okay. actually get that audience excited about product and not only honest but the actual buyers because people were coming into the stores and asking what is this mm. and where can we get it mm -hmm. do you have it mm -hmm. in your stores mm -hmm. because at the time people shopped in malls that was yes. it. it was just malls you just shopped in malls and they were all across the country and there were huge chains during that time but so, so <clears throat> I just want to quickly back up. So 1989, October, you all started the line. Yes. And then you go to Magic in 1990. But prior to that, Will Smith already had worn them on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He wore the, the product. And how yeah. did that How did That, that happen? happened because uh, Carl and I and the marketing director, actually Carl, uh, said, we have all these samples here. Um, and our marketing director at the time, David Stennett, he said, David, we should do something with these. And we all agreed that we should because there were extra samples. You okay. know, when you make a product and designing things, everything doesn't make the cut. Right. So those extra samples, we had quite a few of those. Um, he said, let's just take those to the studios and let's see what happens. So David uh, took those to the set of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the stylist and the wardrobe. And they actually liked the product, and then wow. Will liked the product. He put it on, and within a few days, we were actually on television. Whoa! whoa so that whoa. kind of that kind of taught us, and kind of showed us a, a, a new vehicle, a new way to actually get our product exposed, and mm. also by product placement. That mm -hmm. way, we didn't even think about that or know about it in that form. So it worked, and we kept that formula going, you know, uh, the entire time, and we still use that now today. Yeah. Know, with the brand. Yeah, and you just had um, Bruno Mars and Cardi B. Bruno it, Mars, correct? Cardi B, yeah. Which kind yeah. of helped? It helped a lot to actually get visibility for present day yep. uh, viewers to yep. know that we were actually back. Yep. You know, I think they a lot of people, I don't know if they really thought we were back. They just thought, oh, that stuff is, you know, from the 90s. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I remember yeah. that brand, you know. A lot of the parents, I think, of the, the youth today actually kind of said that, but... It was it was really good for us. And and before we get into like the brand messaging, which I think is a huge part of of cross colors and like the ethos, um, let's talk about also your place in fashion at the time. Like so, in the nineteen nineties, did you feel like you all were a part of the fashion industry, or did you feel like you were 
I don't want to say outside of it, but doing something different. Like, you know, like the fashion system as it stood at that time, right? Mm -hmm. So you had, you know, Donna Karen, um, Calvin Klein, Calvin Klein, Willie Smith, um, these designers who were definitely part of the quote unquote fashion system mm -hmm. or fashion. And you all were doing something slightly outside of it. Right. In a way. But did, yeah. at that time, did you feel like you were part of the fashion industry? Well, we, we, I, I think uh, in general we felt that we were part of the fashion industry, but we didn't follow the rules of the fashion industry. Right. Um, for example, even our colors. Our colors themselves, we had bright colors, uh, unlike any other um, collection or mm -hmm. brand. But then we didn't follow color trends. Mm -hmm. Typically... Um, in the fall, you do certain colors, and mm. then in the summer, you do certain colors, and then you know in the spring and, and all those different seasons, you would do different color palettes. We didn't do that. We didn't follow that rule. And then, in terms of the styles and the cut of the clothes, we didn't follow that rule. Mm. Uh, and then we broke the rule also, I think, in terms of our messaging. Mm. We actually took it upon ourselves to actually have some kind of purpose mm -hmm. for the brand because mm -hmm. we did see a void in the market at the time for product that represented us mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. for a uh, product that actually um, displayed us which we didn't follow the rules with that because right. we actually put uh, people of color on the hang tags mm -hmm. in our ads mm -hmm. you know traditionally in publications that didn't do that mm -hmm. so um, although we felt included in the industry because we were in retail stores uh, we were getting orders. We were included that way. Uh, and also, as far as press and publicity, we were included that way, too, because mm -hmm. we, we were not, uh, we could not be ignored. Mm. Uh, I think just because of the sheer volume of the, the orders mm. that we were actually getting. And I think it, it actually uh, impressed a lot of other people and actually put it on them, too, to realize that the buying market of the uh, what they called the ethnic market at that time was viable mm. and it was something to be dealt with and that's why a lot of people did the knockoffs they started copying us you know for what the we ethnic doing. market yeah that the ethnic crazy. market that's what it was called during that time because, and, the, and the reason I asked that was because I was just doing some research um, on Willie Smith actually for um, the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum they're doing an exhibition of of his coming up and I'm I wrote a chapter for a book that they're publishing oh wonderful and one thing I found really interesting was how Willie at his time um, had an enormous volume right like he was doing an amazing level of business and via the press and Vogue um, women's wear daily rarely was his blackness actually mentioned like it was not the leading force in, or the, the leading angle in, in, in the conversation. Um, whereas black designers now, that is like the leading, like, you know, Kirby from Pierre Moss or, um, you know, even Virgil, you know, at Off-White, like their, their race or their ethnicity is like the leading angle for every story. And I wanted to know like, what happened between Willie's time and this time? And, there isn't really any research that, that, that talks about it, but speaking with Beth Ann Hardison, whom I'm sure you know as well, mm -hmm. she spoke to me about this ethnic market or this streetwear 
it wasn't called streetwear then, but this mm-hmm. ethnic market that mm-hmm. was that was sitting just outside of fashion. So as the fashion industry was happening, this other thing was happening concurrently, mm-hmm. um, and rarely did they actually unite. Right until you had um, P Diddy with mm-hmm. Sean John mm-hmm. in the late '90s, early 2000s, where he was really trying to fuse the runway. Mm-hmm. And streetwear, right? And I and actually did a really successful job, I think. But I, 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 and so I think over time, because this quote unquote ethnic and or streetwear market was existing outside of the fashion industry, when it came back in, that was the only way that fashion people can make it make sense, right? It was like through this entry of race. But anyway, that's a whole that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole another thing. But I wanted to speak with you because you lived it. And mm-hmm. you were there and just wanting to know, like, did you feel like you were a part of this larger conversation um, or not? Um, but going on to the messaging, what what was happening at the time um, that you all developed Cross Colors where you felt the need to put this kind of slightly militant, definitely activist, definitely like black pride, black power message in infuse that the brand with that. Like what 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 was happening at the time and what was that decision to mm. do that? You know, I um it, I've been asked that question a a, a couple of times mm-hmm. in terms of how that happened and how the messaging happened. And I really just kind of Came with came up with something for that, hmm. um, and it was ha- after I was having a conversation with my students in my class one day, mm-hmm. and we were and I was teaching, and um, I, w- I was trying to connect the dots for them. Uh, but they first asked me, "How old are you?" <laughs> <laughs> they always like to ask me that. They always ask me that, but I won't ask uh, you. Please don't. <laughs> um, and I told them, and I just gave them a time. I gave them a little benchmark for that. Right. I said, "Well." I grew up in Mississippi, and when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, we integrated schools. Mm. So then they were like, their eyes just were like, wow. And I said, because before then, there were black schools and there were white schools in Mississippi. Uh, And then we integrated. And I think that is that point. Mm. And those are the things that I I think... um, put into the collection as well. Those things were just imprinted. It's there. It's part of my life and what I've gone through. And the always the the thing about the black and white, mm-hmm. uh, we always had to uh, deal with that mm. growing up mm. um, and still do, you yeah. know, uh, there um, and everywhere pretty much. And but I think what's crazy is, is that you were in the fifth or sixth grade when you integrated doesn't speak necessarily to your age, but speaks to how recently that was. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was trying to give them that there's, I'm alive and I went through that. So I'm here. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And not old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It wasn't that long ago. So then they were like, wow. So really that happened in your lifetime? Yes. Mm -hmm. It did. Yeah, it did. It wasn't that long ago. Just like you're saying. And so for me, the, the, always the topic of unity mm-hmm. is something that I always like to address in myself and Carl in our, in our branding mm-hmm. process and our messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the um, civil rights mm-hmm. um, 
all these other things too. And also just giving awareness to us mm-hmm. to, to let people know and let us know and others too, uh, that we are worthy and we can do things, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that was, uh, that's a huge part of Cross Colors and how uh, the stories that we get even today from people who actually encountered the brand or experienced the brand, they always typically say, it gave me inspiration. Mm. It empowered me, you know, to let others know and us know that we can do. Yeah. And I think that's what we, we constantly uh, strive for, yeah. you know, to, to let others know that everything and anything is possible, you know. And there's a whole world out there, too, as well. And that's, uh, that's why we pulled from other, you know, areas of the globe to actually infuse it into our brand as well. Uh, and then actually started that way, even from that piece of kente fabric that we got from a sales guy, mm. even before we started and told us to do something with it. And that actually is what sparked us to actually start the Cross Colors brand in a way. And I think it's actually also, you've just been hugely successful because every time I wear the sweatshirt that you gave me, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, in 2019, I get stopped on the train. Like people have such amazing, positive reactions just to just seeing the logo, just seeing the graphic of it, it just brings back, you know, beautiful memories. And I, I told you before, like that kind of brand equity is something that people would pay millions of dollars for, yes. like that positive brand association, yes. even after all this time, even after all this time of seemingly not being around, right. people still, still, still have this. Um, and so I, I would like to ask, if Cross Colors came into being in 2020, what would that message be? Like the messages that you had, you know, that you infused the brand with in, in 1989 still resonate, but it's also 2020. So mm-hmm. what's happening in this world? I mean, politically, socially, globally, like that you would feel would represent like cross colors now, like this is what we need to be focused on, or this is the void in mm-hmm. the conversation. Got you. Um, you know, that's the question we asked ourselves even when we uh, basically um, started the collection again, mm-hmm. which was about four years ago mm-hmm. uh, when we actually brought the brand back. Uh, Carl and I, we actually, um, first thought was to, okay, we have to do something that addresses the issues of today mm-hmm. and the youth of today mm-hmm. and make sure that we actually do the same thing that we did back in the 90s mm-hmm. in terms of how we actually you know, had a message mm-hmm. there for, for everyone. And our product needs to be, you know, such a way where it actually is fitting the, um, the aesthetics of today mm-hmm. and the colors and the silhouettes of today and all these other things. So we did product. Mm-hmm. We did some things. Mm-hmm. We took them to market. Mm-hmm. We took them to the retailers or to buyers and presented it to them. And they were like, oh, you guys, you get to some amazing product. You know, this is really, really good, but where is the other stuff? Where is the stuff you started with? Mm, Where are those messages that you had before? That's why when you look at our brand today on our website, crosscolors.com, you will see retro throwbacks. Mm -hmm. You will see what we did in the 90s. You'll Mm -hmm. see the messages, the exact same messages we Mm. did back in the 90s. Our mission and our aesthetics and our vision is still the same. It's basically educate to elevate, 
Clothing Without Prejudice, which is our tagline, was our tagline then and it's our tagline now. Mm. Unity, you know. Uh, and, you know, the things that people speak of today, uh, and they really go deep into diversity, mm-hmm. inclusion, mm-hmm. these words, those are the ones that are, people are actually having the tip of their tongue mm. a lot these days. Those words are the same thing that we did back right. in the 90s. We were representing diversity and inclusion yeah, you were. in the 90s. So we just have to change the wording. We just change the wording a little, but the message is still the same. And so do you read that as you all being prescient of, <laughs> of, 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 of this current conversation around diversity, diversity and inclusion, or that we as human beings don't change as quickly as we would like to? Because that's almost we a generation. We as human beings don't change as quickly as <laughs> we should. Yeah, because that's you know, over change, a generation. Yeah, yeah change is, yeah. I mean, just think. Uh, change is something that, um, you know, uh, uh, someone once told me a solution for that, but I can't say it now. But the, uh, the, the solutions are so drastic in terms of how you actually get change yeah. that a lot of times you have to wait for it to kind of organically happen. Mm. What I'm seeing today in just in the youth, um, because you did ask the question, how did the message? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Because the internet is so powerful mm-hmm. uh, in the minds of individuals, mm-hmm. uh, especially youth and the culture in general, it's really hard to kind of target what actually stimulates and motivates and drives people and especially the youth today. Mm -hmm. But what I see, uh, being an instructor for 20 years, I've seen this evolution or this this change in the the mindset of the youth to me. Mm -hmm. And this is just me speaking. uh, And what's that that change? well, they seem now to actually, they're going back to the, the natural way or the more organic way of doing things, you know, in terms of their outlook. And they want to see that things have a purpose mm-hmm. and a meaning mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. so than uh, I think there was, a, there was a time even in fashion where we, we went through this fast fashion phase, yep. you know, and I think we're still in it, but I think we're coming out of it. And this is just my opinion, too, because people want more. And they want to be able to say that they're doing something sustainable, something mm-hmm. that's actually going to be uh, not just sustainable for you know the environment, but also for people mm-hmm. and humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the things that I see, and those those traits are the things that I'm seeing in the the younger generation today. They want they ask questions, yeah. and they want to know, and they're not just believing what they see online, mm. which is really good because I think with the um, with the first uh, explosion of the internet and what it was, those kids were were really lost yeah. <laughs> in terms of what they uh, could see as reality, you mm. know, because they didn't really experience it because they were really tech savvy yeah. and not tech tech heavy mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how they actually interact and no interaction. And I think people now are really gravitating to to more uh, personal uh, or, or actual. Um, interaction not just through technology but also face to face yeah and I, and, I, and I agree I think you know post I shouldn't say post but mm-hmm. I don't know pre-post <laughs> yeah, pre-post pre-post <laughs> um, you know high street um, disposable fashion mm, yeah you know now we have a plethora of things <clears throat> and so now who needs another skirt 
Right. Like who needs another code? And so mm -hmm. people are really aligning themselves with designers and brands that have a message mm -hmm. behind them. And I think, you know, you know, you know, I work with Kirby, Pierre Moss, like there's a very strong message there. Right. And yes, the clothes are great and they're fun, but people want to feel a part of something larger. Right. Um, but kind of shifting gears, you were talking about sustainability and kind of moving to the future or forward looking. Um, how, how will cross colors integrate this idea of sustainability, like moving forward? Have you thought about that? Yeah. Because yeah, I also we, know like like denim, right? Even mm -hmm. just denim has been a huge part right. of so many brands, including cross colors, but it's also like the most environmentally taxing it is. fabric to like produce it actually. Is. It uses the most water and all mm -hmm. these things. So mm -hmm. are you guys thinking about that? We we are. We we're thinking about that. It's a really hard road to travel, mm. you know, in terms of doing manufacturing. What are those challenges or some of those challenges? The challenges is just the being um, very being organic and being natural with mm -hmm. the uh, in terms of diet and the, the, the process in terms of actually getting the uh, finishes and different things uh, as far as fabrication. And usually for your textiles, that's where it comes in. Mm -hmm. But even if you think about the process of making the fabric itself, just the raw goods, yeah. you know, it's from start to finish, even from the actual growing of the, the cotton or right. the hemp or whatever those things are. I think we should uh, gravitate to more of those fabrics too as far as hemp and those kind of things and more organic fabrics. But what you have to think of too, I think in general, mm -hmm. there's a re-education that actually has to happen, not just through the manufacturers mm -hmm. or the designers, but also through the consumer. Mm -hmm. The consumer has to actually be uh, re-educated in terms of how they purchase. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. if a consumer purchases based on quality mm -hmm. and based on uh, longevity, then they won't buy as much. Right. Then, therefore, we're helping the environment. Right. You know, I think sustainability can be approached in several ways. So if you, and also making sure that you know what you're wearing. Mm -hmm. I think people get uh, thrown off and not understanding that when you put on a garment and when you actually uh, wear it, you are a sponge yourself. You are absorbing whatever yeah. it has in it yeah. or made yeah, of. It's it's you yeah. as well. Yeah. It's like Oof. you're taking that on. So you need to really be aware of where it was made, how it was made, who made it, and think about how many hands touched that garment before it actually got to you. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but that's amazing. Like, that's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and kind of think, uh, staying on this frame of, 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 of forward looking or like what's ahead, you also recently. Um, started the Black Design Collective. Yes. With um, yourself, Ruth Carter, Angela Dean, Angela Dean and, and Kevin, Kevin Hall. Kevin Hall. Yes. Okay. Kevin Hall. So tell us a little bit about uh, the Black Design Collective, which the, I think is really interesting because it's combining fashion and and also costume. Yes. In a way, yes. which which are two two fields that rarely touch each other, but they definitely inspire each other. Yes, yes, but they do. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, the organization was created out of almost uh, similar to Cross Colors, a mm -hmm. need to address some things that we as designers and costumers and creatives uh, of color face in the industry. 
and it really stems from um, resources. Mm -hmm. So we want to be a platform for resources for creatives uh, and also networking as well. Uh, because it's not just for costumers and designers, it's also for those affiliate uh, careers as well. Mm -hmm. uh, hair, makeup, modeling, all those things too, okay. but also just be the resource for that. Uh, there's a membership component to it as well. Uh, where you actually can get privy to uh, a lot of the resources. But we also do workshops and things like that, too. And you gave away of, your first scholarship last year. We did. We gave away our first scholarship last year, uh, April, and it was actually hosted at uh, Fashion uh, Institute here in Los Angeles. And we gave it to uh, a young man who was actually uh, finishing up his uh, degree uh, actually this spring. Oh, amazing. Yeah, he's finishing up his degree this spring, and he actually got all A's last Whoa, semester amazing. of the quarter, which amazing. was great. So we're really a proud of we're really proud of him. Uh, and and Miss Ruth Carter actually presented the uh, actual scholarship along with us to, to him as well because we honored her also. And we have yeah. a, another one happening uh, in April of this year, and we're honoring uh, someone very special with that one too as well. Can, can we talk about it? Or is it, a, is it a secret? No, we can't. Ooh, who, who are you honoring? We're honoring Kirby. <gasps> ah, does Kirby know that? He does. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we, had to know, we had to tell him. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> He's amazing, such a busy amazing. man, but yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, we're honoring him as well. Um, I wanted I want to ask you this oh, question. Oh, 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 before yeah. before no, the, the, the Black Design Collective also yeah. uh, are in our mission. Mm -hmm. It's definitely... Um, wrapped around mentorship. Okay. So we really uh, press hard on making sure we actually have the creatives and kind of guide them through the industry, at least uh, through, uh, try to help them avoid some of the things that we've encountered in the industry too as well. That's a huge part of our platform also. And so for anyone listening, how can they become involved in the Black Design Collective? Well, first just go to our uh, website, Which and it's just blackdesigncollective.com. Mm -hmm. uh, go there, and then you can see our mission, our vision, and then read about us and see the things that we're doing as well. And we have a blog, and you can just see some of the things we've highlighted. Uh, and then uh, contact us after that. The information is right there on the website. And is this for people who are in the industry, people who are maybe hobbyists, or are these is this really about per, like professionalism, <clears throat> pre-professionalism? It's about professionalism. I mean, okay. but we have a student platform and affiliate platform, too, okay. where we can actually have people, like I mentioned before, makeup artists and um, other people actually related to the industry as well who can actually be uh, members. And, and for you, what is, what is the, the big dream for the Black Design Collective? What's <clears throat> that it's global. Top level. Mm. It's global. We're mm. already working on a, um, another uh, group in uh, New York mm -hmm. uh, to actually start it there as well. Mm -hmm. And also Africa is a huge part of our uh, uh, platform as well. We're actually looking for resources and, and those things there as well as starting an organization, a branch there okay. as well. Amazing. Um, so, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the Institute. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> really, appreciate really appreciate it. it. No, I appreciate you. Um, and just like a couple of last questions. Um, one, what's a question that you wish people would ask more or that you really asked? Hmm. Question I wish people would ask more. Uh, No, I think it's the question they ask sometimes, but I really, uh, um, hmm, I don't know 
what that question is. Maybe the question is, uh, will I ever stop? <laughs> I, I think I know the answer to that. Yeah, will I but ever stop? What's the what's the answer? Uh, never, never, <laughs> never. Unstoppable, Unstoppable. indefatigable. Um, and what's your idea or concept of black imagination? I think I am driven. I'm just going to say from my perspective mm -hmm. in terms of black imagination. I just feel if you can imagine, it can be done. Mm -hmm. And I think that just, I mean, it's definitely black imagination because uh, in terms of where it's coming from, right. and for me, in terms of my imagination, uh, and what I've been, what's been impressed upon me through through the years, and and every day, I just think that you should be open for that, mm -hmm. and never and never let anybody um, tell you that it's different from what you think it is. Yeah. Because I think we get confused about what black really is, mm -hmm. you know, because, because we've it's been told. It's also very inclusive. <coughs> blackness, is. whiteness is exclusionary. Blackness mm -hmm. is inclusion. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. And it has had to be all the time. We've always had to be uh, inclusive. Mm -hmm. Actually, we've been put in that position to be like that. Yeah. And that's where, our, that's where our soul, our heart, that's where we, we always come that way and we actually uh, go out that way as well. We don't change. We're very forgiving Oof. and very um, tolerant, mm -hmm. you know, because we, again, have been kind of conditioned that way, too. And I'm just saying that coming from Mississippi, yeah. you know, yeah. to, to be that way and patient and all these other things, too. And I think your imagination, you should kind of, uh, I think everyone should apply those qualities to your imagination because that's what it is, too. But again, if you can dream it, if you can imagine it, it is possible mm -hmm. and it can be done mm -hmm. you know and we've been doing that forever mm -hmm. and we just need to think about what forever is too with that because if you do the research I mean science has told us what the oldest is and where the oldest came from mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we should mm -hmm. just look at that and know that mm -hmm. we are you know as far as imagination there's no limit yeah at all yeah and 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 for me I think this idea of even this podcast is really about igniting the imaginations of so many youth. I think about, oh, there's a siren. Let's just let that pass. Um, but I was saying, I, you know, this idea of black imagination is also really important to me because I think about my nephew, I think about my cousins, I think about black youth, and a big part of what I've come to understand the the slow glacial pace of change in many of these spaces is the dying and the, the lack of access, not only to things outside of your neighborhood, but to your own self, to your own imagination. Are we dreaming? Are we dreaming? Are we in spaces and places and environments that allow for us to dream in? And then coding this idea of blackness on top of that or mapping it onto that, it's really about liberation. It's really about like a, li a liberative design aesthetic. Right. Um, the world that we live in has been designed by a very specific group of people. Um, and so by its very creation, it's already exclusionary. But what if a group of people who have 
literally, culturally, and in their bones, not only thought about themselves, but also the other, are actually creating. And I think we've come to a place uh, in the world, just culturally, where it's actually incumbent on the oppressed to actually design what the future looks like, because I think we're at a, I think we're at a, at a pressure point. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'll stop yeah. there. I could talk about that for a long time, <laughs> but anyway, TJ, thank you again so much. No, I really, you. really appreciate it. Thank Amazing. You. Really love it. Yeah. All right. Ciao. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope the show brought a lot of value to you. And if you enjoyed, please share it out over social media. Feel free to tag me at Black Imagination Podcast on Instagram and definitely shout out our boy TJ Walker at TJ Walker Official and let him know your favorite part of our conversation together. We have so many amazing episodes coming your way, so please be sure to subscribe wherever you receive your podcast and be sure to rate us over on iTunes. That helps out a lot. I love and appreciate you all so very much. Stay curious. Keep dreaming.